I call it the mother gap. So it's the gap between what we needed from our mothers and what we actually received, right? So there's a gap there. And typically what happens is we project that gap totally unconsciously onto other people or things we want to do, goals, you know, like when I do this, I'm going to feel fulfilled. Or when I find this person, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to feel awesome. You know, everything's going to be okay. So, and even with our bosses or friends, we might unconsciously project like this message, like see me, make me feel important, make me feel valued. And this is just human nature. We, we all do this to some degree. So one of the things I invite people to think about is what is your mother gap? Because the places where we didn't get whatever we needed. Prophecies have foretold and wisdom keepers all know that the rise of the feminine will restore balance to our world. In this podcast, we are on a journey to understand the root of the imbalance that has caused disconnection and dysfunction within our humanity, so we can emerge as leaders, creating a new story on Earth. I'm Lauren Walsh. And I'm Shayna Connors. With humble hearts and open minds, we will converse with spiritual teachers, historians, psychologists, revolutionaries, leaders, and healers to navigate these evolving times and reintegrate the feminine history that we have forgotten. Welcome to the Time of the Feminine podcast. Hey, hey, welcome to another episode of the Time of the Feminine podcast. Today, we have a very real and raw, deep and beautiful conversation with you. And before we get started, I would love to introduce our new sponsor, goddesswell.co. Goddesswell creates the highest quality of women's products for your highest self, specifically formulated by women for women to complement our inherent self-healing power, specifically focusing on PMS, menopause, hormone and moon support, and urinary tract health. So what I love about this company is the intentionality within the medicine and the high, high quality of CBD that's within each capsule. So there's various lines. There's the Harmony line for harmony and mood. There's the Radiance line for PMS and menopause relief. There's the Serenity line for UTI relief. And each capsule has two times more CBD than in any other capsule on the market, plus high-quality essential oils to target and support relieving all of these various women's hormonal and sexual health issues. So for me, every day I take the Harmony pill for mood and hormone aid, and I say a little prayer, and I connect with the medicine, and I connect with the aliveness of the essential oils, and I ask for help with what I'm going through right now in my woman's health journey, and I feel like I'm giving myself the care and the attention I need. And so what's so cool about Goddess Well and Marcella, the owner's connection with Global Sisterhood, is she's a Global Sisterhood facilitator herself, and she has made it available for the Global Sisterhood community to buy one product and get one free using the code SISTERHOOD. That means we get to buy one for ourselves, and we get to buy one with the condition of giving it to a sister to spread the love, to spread the health, and to deepen our circle 
of women who are healing ourselves and transforming the world. So go to goddesswell.co, use the code sisterhood and buy one and get one free to give to a friend. All right, now let's get going with the show. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Time of the Feminine podcast. This is Shayna here today, and I am with Bethany Webster, and I'm very excited to dive into this conversation today. She is a writer, international speaker, and transformational coach, and she started blogging about the mother wound before you probably heard about it, and this is around 2013. You might have felt it, (laughs) but she started talking about it in 2013 and quickly experienced worldwide demand for her work. Through blending research on intergenerational trauma, feminist theory, and psychology with her own personal story, Bethany's work is a result of decades of research in her own journey of healing. Bethany speaks, consults, and mentors around the world, sharing her growing body of work that is raising the standards of women's leadership and personal development. Bethany, I am so excited to have you here on the podcast today. Thank you for all the time and energy and healing and work that you've done to be here today. Oh, thank you so much. It's really great to be here. So this mother wound you speak of, I feel that it's easy to see for me now after kind of exploring my own healing of the feminine and really getting to see how when you explore this work, it affects everything. And you can see that this mother wound actually affects all of us. And so I'm curious about, you know, what your realization was that called you to start doing your own work and then potentially helping others on this path of exploring the mother wound. Yeah. I got on the path early. I would say a turning point I had was when I was in college. I was about 19 years old. And up to that point, I had been like my mother's therapist and like kind of like her confidant. And I thought my mother was like my best friend. I felt distance, but I also, that was kind of the narrative of what I told myself. You know, I kind of grew up being the good girl and always a smile on my face, always willing to help, always willing to you know, show up for others. So I had a lot of relationships where I was like the emotional caretaker. And I that was just really a reverberation of the dynamic I had with my mom, where I just learned that this is my role uh, in my family. Um, I was the older sister, uh, the only girl. And yeah, I was just kind of a people pleaser, uh, good girl type. But the problem was that I started to get a lot of symptoms. So I started having panic attacks. I started having like severe anxiety, issues with body image and food. And it kind of reached a crisis point, I think around 19 years old. And I just knew I needed to get help. And I knew that my family couldn't help me. (laughs) The people around me were struggling. And I was like, I needed support. So I I remember I went into a health food store and I found a little card on like the, the bulletin board that had a symbol of the goddess on it. And it was a therapist, a holistic psychotherapist, trauma therapist. Uh, this was like 1998. This is like going way back now. Um, and I called this therapist and I've been with her ever since weekly wow. for about 25 years. Um, so it's been an enormous, long, magnificent journey of reworking my primary attachment bond. And so I got on that path early and I just kept working in, in the early years. It was just like, 
oh my gosh, my relationships are crap. You know, I just started to see, like you said, I started to see the mother wound everywhere. I was like, wow, the dynamics I have with my mom are impacting every area of my life. Like what I felt about my potential, you know, I felt kind of arrested or stalled in college. Like, who am I? What am I here for? What am I going to do? And I remember longing for some kind of mentorship for my mother and just feeling that deep void, like that deep longing and craving and her absence. Like she couldn't be that for me because she didn't have that to give really. So, so in the early years, it was like, you know, five, maybe five or six years before I actually started working directly on my relationship with my mother because I was so in avoidance. I really didn't want to talk about it in therapy. I really didn't want to look at it because I knew that underneath the facade of my mother's, you know, to the outside world, she's very loving and kind, but there was like a real darkness. And I was really afraid of awakening that darkness, <laughs> if that makes sense. So it wasn't until I was like in grad school, maybe like several years later that I was like, okay, I have to do this because I started to realize even relationships I was still having were mimicking that same dynamic. Like I was settling for crumbs <laughs> in relationships. Yes. You know, there's one particular day I talk about where I was driving on the highway after going to see this man I was seeing. And I was just like, oh my gosh, it's the same dynamic. I'm doing all the work. It's not reciprocal. It's drops of connection that I'm getting, you know, kind of pulled into. And I remember my hands on the wheel, just making this, this realization, like this has got to end because I could do this for the rest of my life. And I don't want to, <laughs> life is too short. I can't continue this way. And so I remember I went back to my therapist and I was just like, all right, I'm ready. Let's do this. <laughs> Let's do this mother work. And um, at the time, I didn't call it the mother wound, but I, you know, so I committed. That was my focus, and it just—it was really hard. It was—it was definitely hard. And then it got harder because what ended up happening was I started showing up differently in my family. So mm -hmm. I'd probably been in therapy at ten years at this point, and I was like now saying, you know, I approached my mother actually, and I said, I want our dynamic to change. I want us to be close. I want to know you and I want to be known, you know, and I feel like our dynamic isn't working for me anymore. You know, that's not like the exact words I used, but I remember I said that to her on the phone and I prayed before I said it to this conversation because I was like, I knew it was going to be a bomb that would, you know, blow up my family. And it did. It did. Mm -hmm. And the sad thing was that my mom just saw my desire for growth and change as an attack. She was, saw it as me rejecting her. She saw it as me threatening her. So she started like slinging like lots of things I did wrong at, at me and saying, well, you're not perfect. And, you know, it was very, un, it was very disorienting because it was like, wow, my mom's coming at me almost like playground bully type thing. Like, well, you're not perfect. And I, you did this and, you know, I, I tried my best and that's all I can do. And what do you want from me? And you're not my daughter anymore. You know, I guess you're not going to come and stay here with me when you come to town. You should find somewhere else to be. So it was like rapid fire. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is way worse than I thought. And it was like about a year of that. And it was very hard to witness because it was basically my mom was decompensating into you know, what's been under the surface, which was her own pain that for whatever reason, she didn't have, you know, the, the wherewithal or the tools to, to work through. 
And I began to see that like my good girl role kept a lot of things like quiescent on the surface where there was stuff, really rough stuff on underneath. So me growing, evolving out of that good girl role created kind of a family crisis in a way. Like me wanting to have better boundaries, me wanting to be more authentic, me stopping that emotional caretaking just really caused the homeostasis of the family system to go into kind of a crisis. And so, yeah, I ended up having to get a restraining order, uh, going for a restraining order against my mom because she she was at the same time enmeshed with me. She loved me or she thought she loved me, but she also couldn't handle my autonomy, my separate individual self. And it was very scary for a while, but I am no contact with her. And it was for my own safety. It was for my well-being. And, you know, I consider myself one of those women who had an extreme mother wound and, and, and working through it, you know, it's my, the main thing in my life is healing my trauma. It's more important to me than my business. It's more important. You know, it's really the center and the primary focus of my life is to heal my trauma because I've realized that as we heal, as we work through these, these uh, emotional wounds, as we step more into our authentic self, feeling our worth, especially at this time in history, whether it's our family or our organizations or where we work, an empowered, authentic woman is very threatening to systems and people that haven't really done or acknowledged their own wounds. So, and as we heal, we help the culture. We personally heal. We help others heal. We become a role model for that. And also on a spiritual level, I believe that, let me put it a different way. When I was kind of really getting going in my therapy work, I felt like I was on two paths. I was like in therapy and I was on a spiritual path. And I was really spiritual when I was young and in my 20s. And I thought they were two paths. Like they seemed like two different things, you know? And then, but the more I healed, I, I realized they're actually one path. And I realized the more I heal my wounds, the more open a channel, the more connected I am to the divine. The more I can feel my inherent sense of divinity, sense of oneness with the universe in a real authentic, visceral way, not just in a conceptual way. So I think there's a real necessity, you know, as spiritual people who consider ourselves spiritual to do the work because there's, um, it's easy to get, you know, go into this bypassing way of believing these spiritual concepts, but our trauma, I was just so happy to see actually Gabor Mate talk about this in a recent interview. He said, if you don't heal your trauma, it's still there. If you focus on spiritual stuff and it's still untouched, it's still there dormant. So I really encourage, you know, and let people know, like, as you heal, you're going to get more connected, more in touch with your true nature. I mean, I have such deep respect for you because everything you just shared and what you've and what you said is really hard. Like I can see how you've been doing very hard work, especially when it comes to the family, especially when it comes to shaking things up, especially when it comes to like being brave in your own sovereignty and knowing what you need, what yeah. you need. Super right. brave. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, for some of us who have, you know, on the severe end of the mother wound spectrum, it gets to a point for some of us where you actually feel a very distinct choice. Like if I continue to be in contact with my family that's toxic and unwilling to change or grow, my health is going to degrade quickly. And so it's, it can be hard for people who don't have that experience to imagine, you know, going no contact with one's family or becoming estranged. But for some of us, it's actually 
a launch pad to empowerment and into a real depth of, yeah, really feeling the preciousness of your own life and your own worth and really making it count. Uh, because I think for many women before us, you know, maybe our grandmothers or great grandmothers, the cultural thing around silence of don't have a voice, don't speak up for yourself, don't want more, you know, don't want more than you have. Be happy with what you've got. And for I consider myself and the women that I coach and work with, it's like it's kind of a spiritual warriorship where you're like, I'm not gonna settle. I don't, I'm not gonna silence myself and be small. I'm I matter. I matter. And some families and organizations can't handle that. It's the system isn't resilient enough to um, in- accommodate people who are evolving and growing and changing. So I really see like we are the people, those of us who are doing the private, unglamorous healing work that it takes to do this in a really authentic way, not just, oh, I read a book and I went to a workshop or, you know, I listened to a podcast. No, this is like the center, right? And I, and I encourage women to do this, like make your healing the center of your life because you're the best investment you will ever make is in yourself. So And everything that you want, everything you desire is really available to you, becomes available organically at the right time in the right way when you really own your journey and you really commit to it and you get the support you need and, you know, you make it the priority on a daily basis when no one's watching and, you know, when it's really hard. The universe, I feel like, really has a plan and rewards all of us for the deep work and, it's changed my life in ways I could never have predicted. And I really feel more than ever at this point now, I started when I was 19, so I'm 44 now. So it's, it's like there is such sweetness to be found that nothing in the world can take from you. No one can take this from you. It's yours. It's like an inner wealth. And it's really the reclamation of your own existence. Like you are worthy because you exist, not because of anything you've done. You can't add to it. It's already yours because you exist. You were born and you are precious and you will nothing like you will ever be again. And to feel your own preciousness and your own worth and to live from there, knowing your spark, feeling your spark and knowing you don't have to earn it. You don't have to prove it. You don't need other people to validate it. You can just be it. And that's revolutionary. That's exciting. That's powerful. That's freedom in my book. (laughs) I completely, I completely agree with you. I mean, in my own way, learning my worth and learning my preciousness and learning that I am this unique spirit on this planet and that I don't have to do anything actually gives me access to so much more facility within my own body. I'm like, wow, this is here and this is here. And like, wow, I'm, I am just a remarkable being as we each are. And so I'm curious about this journey you went on with your mother, because I'm sure that that many women listening have experienced some kind of, you know, mother wound. And so I'm curious about, you know, this first year when you were going to therapy and you began thinking about cutting off contact and this journey that you then went on of actually cutting mm-hmm. off contact. And and I imagine that was devastating in a lot of ways and hard, but also necessary. Like there was protection there. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, my mother was the first person to say, she said, I have no daughter, like an email three. Uh So it was actually Uh like, Uh I know I did go no contact eventually, but she actually was the one that wanted to drop me really quickly. And I think sometimes what happens with moms is 
for moms who haven't done a lot of work on themselves, if you have a mom who is really, you know, like maybe she's never even gone to therapy, she's never thought about her childhood, these are the kinds of moms that are can be very challenged and can see a daughter's growth as a threat. If you have a mom that's into podcasts or therapy, it's much, it can be much easier because, you know, there's a lot of moms out there and older women who are discovering personal growth and who are diving into it. And I've seen it happen. Like some women who, you know, maybe having struggles with their moms and they do approach them and, and want to talk and go deeper. There are many moms out there who are on board, who want to do that and who have that willingness and the capacity and the ability to self-reflect and to, and who really love their daughters and really want to, you know, be close to them and are motivated. So I think we don't know at the outset. To, I think I, that's your question is, we don't know at the outset what's going to happen with our moms. Mm-hmm. You know, we can't really know ahead of time, is this going to make us closer or is this going to make us more distant? And I think that's what holds a lot of women back from doing the work is like, number one, do I have, does my mom have to be in my life to heal? Like, do I have to we have to, we have to heal together. And what's going to happen if we, if I do start these difficult conversations with my mom, like what's going to happen? And there is this unknown about it. And what I like to say is just get them as much support as you can and be really clear about what you want to say to your mom and why. We talk about this a lot in my course. And my course actually includes like Q&A coaching twice a month. And we work through some of these kind of situations together where some people are like, how should I approach this? How should I talk to her about it? And it's really about getting clear on what's not working in your relationship with your mom. Like spend some time journaling about that. If you're somebody listening who's like, yeah, you know, my relationship with my mom is really contentious or stressful. Do some journaling on what do you, what is it exactly about that dynamic that's that's problematic for you. Like get super duper specific because if you can then you'll be more likely, number one, to feel at choice when you're with your mom about how you want to respond. Because that's really the empowered goal is like to be around your mom and to be as empowered as you can. Be in your adult self, not in a little girl place of mommy, see me, mommy, you know, which we all have that to a degree, you know. So it's to really hold that inner child inside yourself safely and securely and then show up as that empowered adult self. And for many of us, it takes a lot of practice and time to get to a place where we can do that. I'm curious. I, I've had this realization before that we're more siblings to our parents, you know, than we yes. are actual daughters or sons of our parents because, you know, we all come to this earth equal, you know, and we're all on our own learning path. We're all on our own journey. And what's helped me a lot I wish my business partner Lauren was here because she talks about this beautifully. But at a point in her life, she divorced her father so that she could Mm -hmm. be with the divine father, this idea of like this cosmic celestial father. And, you know, the same is true of the mother, this great cosmic mother. And those being like the true parents, the true creators of our reality, you know, whether you believe in that or not, but the the polarity of it, right? And our our parents being more of our siblings. And so in that way, like forgiving them for not fulfilling like this really powerful role, you know, that we've kind of imposed upon parents through our societal constructs. So I'm curious if you've been on that journey at all and how you kind of I don't know, because in a way, like when I do that, I can also forgive more easily because I'm like, yeah, you're just like me. 
you don't you didn't know you were doing your best you know there was no guidebook on how to be a parent you just did the best you could and we ended up in this dynamic because this is what society has kind of imposed upon us so i'm curious if your work has kind of touched this at all or what you think about it yeah i was actually just talking with a client this morning about kind of what you're talking about and what we were talking about was you know i said had you ever allowed yourself to feel angry about what happened with your mother and She's like, you know what? I really haven't. I haven't let myself be angry. And I'm talking about an extreme level of neglect. So this woman was left alone with no food, with no supervision, terrified. So this is not just like minor. And she said, you know what? I haven't. And I said, oh, I'm curious why you haven't let yourself feel angry because, you know, on behalf of the child that you were, right? And she said, yeah, I just have this feeling like if I express anger about my mother, as soon as I start to feel that, another part comes in and says, well, she had it so much worse. She had a, a terrible life and she had extreme tr- you know, hardship and neglect and abuse in her life. So I don't let myself feel anger about my mother. And I have seen this over and over and over again. And some people spiritualize it too. Like, oh, I'm just going to go into forgiveness and not think about my pain. And it's if you listen to the language, it's very much an either or. Like my mother... You know, as soon as you start to validate yourself, whoop, nope, mom has to be number one. And you knock yourself out of validity. You lock your, you know, you knock yourself down, basically. You silence yourself in your reality. And the sad part is that the child that you were gets no validation or support. And the mother gets all this leeway. And in a way, it's almost protecting abusers. It's almost like the abuser doesn't know what they're doing. So we, we don't confront. We don't call into accountability. And actually, sometimes we can cloak that in a spiritual clothing, but it's really harmful. And so it's a a very delicate dance because I think we can feel compassion for our mothers. Absolutely. I mean, they deserve our compassion, of course. Many of them didn't know what the hell they were doing. They were doing their best and all that they could do at the time with what they had. But it's a both and. So my mother suffered terribly. And I suffer too. So it, we're bringing, my work is really about helping women to bring the two together and to have compassion for that child in you that is still suffering from, from whatever you endured with your own mom. And the reason why I focus on women in my work is because that wound between women, between a mother and a daughter, that, that same sex relationship is important. It has certain, you know, things that happen developmentally that are really important for women, right? Because of that identification with the mother as another woman. So it's like almost a deeper internalization of whatever, however our mothers treated us is how we treat ourselves. So if our mother, this woman's mother neglected her, she's neglecting herself. So the only way we can break that cycle is to once again, bring in the both and and welcome the anger, welcome it, give it a safe, constructive place to be felt. Because if we don't, we do violence to ourselves because we say, shut up, don't speak because you're, you're threatening mom. And the blunt truth of it is that the inner child needs to, needs the adult mother self to heal, not the external mother who gave birth to us. It's almost like the child in us has to become more important than the, our own mothers. Does that make sense? Thank you for, 
Yeah, no, it totally makes sense. And I appreciate you bringing that in because I can totally see how you can also put yourself in a trap with that kind of thinking and (laughs) and then not make yourself as important, which is like the classic thing for women to do is to give more importance to the external other than to the self. And so it seems like a lot of your work is focusing on the capital S self and then, you know, managing accordingly. But it's hard for for us women that literally come from our mothers and are mirroring in so many ways. And so I'm curious about, you know, the first step, like – I guess there's a there's a woman who's listening who acknowledges that they have a mother wound because there's some dynamic that they recognize in the way in something mm-hmm. that you're sharing. And so how does one even begin to orient around like what's next, what to do, like how to address that if they feel like that's something they want to do? Yeah, absolutely. And and I say some of the first steps that you can take are to just reflect on like I said earlier, what are the problem problems in my relationship with my mom? For many women, it's, it's something around not being able to be authentic. So you might feel, you might feel a sense like you have to be smaller or less real with your mother to protect her in some way. Um, so a great question to kind of explore that more is like, what irks you about your relationship with your mom? How does that play out in real time? And number two, if you could have it any way you wanted, how would you interact with her? What would that relationship be like? How would it be different? So for example, with some women, it might be like, well, you know, I really just want to be, I want to be able to be me around my mom. I want to be able to share my real life without feeling like I have to either hide, mask, or give her more of the birth of it, you know, like be deferential to her. I want to feel heard. I want to feel seen. It could be things like that. Or I want to have boundaries without feeling guilty. So for example, if you only want to talk to your mom an hour a week or an hour a month on the phone... To just have that be like, okay, that's what you need. Let that be like, have that be respected and heard. It could be something like that. So get clear on what, what would you like to be different about your relationship with your mom? And the third question is, what are some little steps that you can start to take? It doesn't have to be a big step, but it could be just a little step to move in the, into that direction. So maybe it's just waiting an extra day before you call your mom than you usually would, like giving yourself more time or, um, it could be, you know, saying something to your mom, like, mom, you know, some way of kind of like laying the foundation for a deeper conversation, you know, about maybe boundaries or maybe even like, I want to be closer to you, mom. Like maybe we could spend more time together or something like that. Um, so taking some authentic step, it shouldn't be too big that you're, that you're afraid and it shouldn't be too little that it, it should be like a sweet spot where it feels challenging, but not too challenging that you don't do it. And then do some preparation and some debriefing after. So it could be like thinking through, you know, what could go wrong in this conversation and how am I going to deal with that? So preparation is, is great because you kind of, you want to show up as empowered as possible with your mom, not to convince her of anything, not to try to persuade her to be different, but to just really own your truth, really. I think that's what we all really want is to be kind of our real selves and and really seen as that that kind of rest that comes with just being yourself and and I think between women there is a legacy of we hide, we mask, we dilute and that's kind of how we relate to each other um if things feel unsafe. And so how do we feel safe enough to be ourselves even if the other person isn't 
on board? How can we show up as authentically and in integrity as, as we can with our mothers? And I always tell people, it's not really about your mom in the end. It's not about making your mom right or wrong. It's not about her seeing you a particular way. It's, this is really about us just showing up in our truth with our moms in a way that we couldn't when we were little girls. For whatever reason, we didn't have a voice. It didn't feel safe. So it's like a correction. There's a healing thing that's happening when we can show up on behalf of that little girl that we were respectfully and in our integrity, but really owning our power and owning our truth with our mothers. And that doesn't mean being cruel or unkind or anything like that. I think that's where people tend to go, right? Is we have this black or white where it's like, we're either pleasing with no boundaries or we're bitches and where we like mean and ungrateful. We have to create that third pathway for ourselves and gives ourselves permission like, hey, I have needs too. I get to have them. I get to speak them. I think that's kind of what, what we're doing right now as women is we're learning to collectively step up and, and speak and be unapologetically ourselves because we've been silenced for so long and we've learned to silence ourselves and our mothers have been silenced by themselves and by their mothers. So it's, this is not a comfortable thing. <laughs> what we're talking about, it's, it's not comfortable. It's not for the faint of heart, but it is really the authentic path of how can we love and embrace ourselves even when our mothers can't for whatever reason? And it's really powerful when we stop making our empowerment contingent upon our mothers being a certain way. I see some women saying like, well, when my mother sees me the way I want her to see me, then I'm going to feel like it's going to be safe enough for me for, to go what I want. Like kind of waiting for their mom's permission to say, you're good. You're amazing. You can do this. And a lot of moms, for whatever reason, can't. Women of older generations, many of them didn't have that spoken to them, and they can't do it for their own daughters. So we can't expect them to give us what they never had, right? So it's like, it's a really powerful transformation. And this is one of the, the modules in my course, is when we give up the impossible dream of our mothers changing into the mothers that we wanted and longed for them to be, it's a grieving process of... My mom is who she is. This is her best. She can't be different. And so we have to allow ourselves to be sad about that and to grieve that. And in the process, we are making peace in a way with our power where we can start to give ourselves permission to be the women that we know we're meant to be. And without linking that to somehow making our mothers suffer or making them uh, that we're somehow part of our mother's oppression by being powerful and by being actualized women. So you see, it's very complex. <laughs> I know everything I'm saying is like many different angles to it, but is, is this, how is this landing with you? I mean, it's beautiful to hear. And I, I can see like, of course I apply it to my, my own relationship with my mother and I'm like seeing through different lenses. I recently have been working on being an adult, which I've been an adult for a long time, but really like mothering myself. And seeing all the ways that I had been mirroring the way my mother mothered me to myself. Oh, which great in insight. Some ways, yeah, it didn't feel complete. And I would notice like all these tendencies I have that are very similar to my mother, where it's just kind of like scattered and going, moving very quickly and kind of not taking so much care. And what that always left me feeling was like mm. not so great, you know? And so it's been this really interesting realization of like, wow, I actually don't know how to take care of myself. And this is mm. a little while back. And for the first time being like, Shayna, how do you want to be taken care of? Like, 
What do you want? Ooh, love that it's question. So juicy. <laughs> yeah, it's been so good because I'm like, you know, I like actually moving slow and I like mm. beautiful things and I like making spaces nice and sweet and all these things that my mother never mm. did for me. Like she was, my mother is a beautiful woman and she has a lot of admirable qualities, but she's also like can get super in her head and anxious and quick and moving and that. And mm-hmm. so she doesn't give herself that rest or that pause or that grace. And so I'm learning like, I need that. Like I only know how to mother myself as well as my mother mothered me, which is fascinating. And yeah. so I'm like, okay, uh, you know, what do I need? And so I'm curious about, you know, this this way of mothering ourselves and how, you know, from your perspective, what questions we begin to ask, how we begin to learn, like, how do we step into our authentic selves? Because, you know, it's like, okay, I'm dealing with this thing with my mom, you know, I have a lot going on in my life and I never really even Mm -hmm. thought about it. Like, what do you mean authentic self? Like, I think I'm being authentic, but am I? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's so, it's so true. Um, It's such a fascinating question that I've really delved into in my own work. And I had some really exciting uh, moments where I was like, wait a second. Yeah. Like I know what all of my traumatic adaptations are, right? You know, like a lot of our personalities are shaped upon how we had to adapt to our families. So I said earlier how I was like, and it's true for many women, you know, like people pleaser silence ourselves because, you know, that's how we got approved. That's how we got love. That's how we got rewarded. And, And so a lot of our personality you know, structures were formed early in life around that. So as we heal, it unlocks, you know, it relaxes some of those default modes and we get to kind of feel like more vitality, more energy. And, and like, we get to get to know ourselves. Like, what do I want? What am I even, you know, what, what lights me up and, and what do I not want? And, and so it's a really exciting kind of exploration to actually sink into but um, I want to get back to what you said earlier, which is I talk about this in my course. It's also in my book. It, it, I call it the mother gap. So it's the gap between what we needed from our mothers and what we actually received, right? So there's a gap there. And typically what happens is we project that gap totally unconsciously onto other people or things we want to do, goals, you know, like when I do this, I'm going to feel fulfilled. Or when I find this person, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to feel awesome. You know, everything's going to be okay. So, and even with our bosses or friends, we might unconsciously project like this message, like see me, make me feel important, make me feel valued. And this is just human nature. We, we all do this to some degree. So one of the things I invite people to think about is what is your mother gap? Because the places where we didn't get whatever we needed, and by the way, no mom is perfect. It's not like you know, a mother could meet every single need of all of her children, you know, mothers get to be human, they get to be flawed, they get to make mistakes. It's just, you know, it's actually good for the kid for the child, the mother to be somewhat, you know, to have her own shortcomings, because that helps us adapt as well, as long as there's not, you know, trauma involved. But that mother gap is typically where we develop a false self, you know, where we had to compensate, where we didn't feel mothered, we didn't feel loved, we didn't feel safe, we didn't feel valued. We had to compensate for that in some way. So we might have wear, wore a mask. Some people, it's like the class clown or the rebel or the, yeah, the class clown. So it make, making people laugh or some way to just fee, get positive attention when there was none. 
And some people go the other way and become like loners and more isolated. So we're all very different in how we adapt. But thinking about, you know, what were the things that you wished your mom, like maybe you had memories of things maybe you wished your mom did for you when you were little. I know I did. Do you remember that at all? I'm thinking about it now. You know, my mom struggled with depression when I was young. And so I became the person that, and my sister's also very volatile, emotional. And so I became very shut down. And Mm -hmm. I had a lot of nightmares and all this kind of stuff. And my mom was kind of like cold with me, like figure it out, sister. And so, yeah, like I guess I wish there was more like compassion, understanding for my experience and a space for me too, because there was so much emotion going on that I didn't feel like I had a space. And so it's only recently that I'm even connected to my tears and to my emotions. And, and so, yeah, so I think that I think like a space for me and when I was a a girl, I was very expressed. I would sing and I would dance and I would play and all this kind of stuff. But my mom was like more shut down. And so I also shut myself down. You know, the deeper she got into her journey, then I was like, that part's not good anymore. I'm just going to be a swimmer. I'm just going to be by myself in Mm. my emotions, you know, which I I now see as a gift too, right? Like it has both, but it was a way for me to just like very narrowly, very make myself small and kind of go within myself. And it's taken me a lot. I'm still working on like pulling myself out, not being ashamed of my bigness. And so- Yes, like your vitality and your dancing and that energy that's like, ah, oh, that your essence, like it, it's so beautiful. It's it's amazing to think about you allowing that to kind of come out again and, and feel the sun on, you know, on your face in that, in that mode that like you won't have loss in that place. You can be your full yeah. self and be loved, that your bigness is not going to hurt anybody anymore. Yeah, my joy. You know, my joy. Yeah. It's like, oh, well, my mom's not feeling okay. She's sad. So it was just like my dad actually appreciated my joy and my bubbliness. But when my parents split and I was more with my mom in mm. this kind of thing, I just also – So, yeah, it's interesting talking sense. about because I never really thought about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm so glad your dad really loved that in you and kind of like mirrored that goodness back to you. That's that's good. Mm-hmm. At least, you know, you had mm-hmm. him in that moment. But it makes total sense if your mom's depressed – you know, the child starts to kind of mirror back what the mother's doing to, to keep that bond, right? To keep that bond going. So mm-hmm. when you have insights about the mother gap, like that's a great example that you were just sharing. The next step is to really feel compassion for yourself as a child, for that little girl who was like, oh, why can't mommy enjoy my dancing? And why can't she be happy with me? And I want her here. I want her to be happy with me, you know? And so kind of putting yourself in that child's shoes again and saying, oh, sweetheart, of course you wanted your mommy there with you. And you didn't do anything wrong by being joyful and funny. And, you know, that was you. That was you being your awesome self. Um, It's just that mom had her own stuff that had nothing to do with you that prevented her from really seeing you and being able to like reflect back to you, your amazingness. And now I'm here as your adult self, you know, big Shana, and I love your joy and I want to help you feel it more often and express it and be in it. So that's kind of an example of like inner mothering where you connect with that child in that mother gap, right? In that painful place where mom couldn't be there with you and you start to be that mother to yourself that you wished your mom could be. And the antidote is something kind of like what you're saying, like in your case, 
there was a sad mom and you really wanted a happy mom. You needed that mom to be happy with you. And so you can bring that joy, exactly that thing that you needed to little Shayna and, and be like, oh, let's go do something joyful. What do you want to do? Maybe turn on some music and dance or maybe we can just skip at the park or I don't know, color, you know, so you actually do things with that child. You, you invite the joy and there's brain rewiring that's happening when we do that. That's really powerful. It's making a new pathway in the brain where it's safe to be joyful. You know, it's kind of like an algorithm. I like to think about it this way. It's like the mother wound is the place where it wasn't safe to be yourself. It wasn't safe to be real. And so we, we create that safety with this inner bond we create with the inner child. And it's a long process. It takes time. But it's really the, you know, the inner safety we create is what allows us to be like, go beyond into new territory, new possibilities. Once we feel safe inside, anything's possible. But until there's enough safety, we're usually trying to manipulate or external things to get that safety first. And so it's, it doesn't really work. <laughs> it doesn't work well that way. Wow. Everything you're saying is hitting me so much right now because I, I think this has been a big part of like my present day journey is being safe in my experience mm. and allowing myself to express without the voices that come that tell me that I'm doing something bad, that I'm doing something wrong, that I should be small and learning that those are just voices, you know, and, and to yeah. not be so distracted by them. But for a long time I was, you know, and I would really listen sure. to them, but I'm seeing now it's because of this original, this original little girl that wanted to play, that wanted to express, that did feel like I was doing something wrong. And, right. you know, it wasn't the time, it wasn't the place, it wasn't the vibe. And so now I'm seeing like, oh, that's why. And it's so interesting how you're talking about like how the mother wound impacts all your other relationships because I'm seeing now with friends, I'm like, well, don't you want to see me? But then it comes off distorted instead of mm. me like just actually being myself Then I'm like, don't you want to see me be myself? You know, it's like exaggerated <laughs> or like kind of bizarre. Mm, and so it's, mm. it's, I'm, I'm, I'm coming more and more and more towards this place of authenticity where it's not so much oh, like, I love it. uh, like far on one side, you know, like, please see me. And it's not so yeah. much like on this other like shame spiral. It's more, you know, centered and I can, but it is the safety exactly as you're saying that safety. Yeah, exactly. It's the safety. And and what the message that we can give to that little girl who feels shame, like there's something wrong with me for being myself, like my real self isn't good. You know, there's some kind of internalization of that. And what helps us to differentiate from that original trauma that gave us those messages, I, well, I teach a process called validate, differentiate. And that's just a handy way of saying we validate the, the pain and the like all the feelings of the kid inside of us. And then we differentiate that it's not happening now. And like, for example, one of the things in my course that we talk about is really helping your inner child to see that the pain that you went through as a little girl was not your fault. None of it, not even a little bit. It was really about the adults in the situation, in, the, in your environment and what they were going through. That was what was controlling everything that you were going through. But as little girls, as boys as well, we have no choice based on our limited cognitive ability at the time to think this must be due to me. Like I, there must be something wrong with me that mom is sad or that dad and mom are not talking like what's wrong. And so we, we don't, 
we can't do anything else. That's our only power as a child is to blame ourselves. So when we heal the mother wound, we unhook from that shame. And we really start to tell the child, you didn't do anything wrong. It wasn't your fault. Even if you were the most perfect girl, if that was an actual thing, you still wouldn't have fixed or changed anything that happened in your, in your household. The adults were the only one with power. So it starts to help you to like let go of that shame, that that was just a misconception, that was a false conclusion. But that becomes a real felt reality when we can grieve how, you know, grieve how bad it was or, you know, grieve how sad we were when our moms couldn't be happy for us or, you know, when we felt alone or, you know, like there wasn't enough love, there wasn't enough reassurance. So, and we stay with our inner child in that pain. Like I'm with you here, little B. That's what I call my little B. I'm with you here. You can be sad as long as you need to. I'm with you in this pain. You're safe here. And it makes it safe to just yeah, feel it. And as we feel it, it's like our brain is, it's called memory reconsolidation in the brain where new pathways are being formed, where we can let go of the past and we can actually feel our safety in the present moment. Like, yeah, I really am safe right now. And it really is over. The worst is over. So it takes time. Trauma healing is, is really slow work, but if you have the right tools and techniques, you can really cover a lot of ground in your life and break a lot of cycles in your family. What you said was really interesting about as a little girl, the only option that you really have is to blame yourself because I can see this manifesting for all the women that I work with and it comes out as this deep feeling of like, I'm bad. I did something wrong. I'm going to take responsibility. That's why women are always saying, sorry. I'm so, oh, I'm sorry. Yes, I'm sorry. I'm exactly. Sorry. Right? Because it must be our fault. We must have done something wrong, even though like you're just like bumping into someone at the store, you know? And right. so it's it's this really interesting program that so many mm-hmm. of us like how do you how do you work with that as a child or as a parent? You know, how do you parent in a way that you can help that little girl in real time kind of understand, no, it's not your fault. Yeah. Or is that just inevitable? Is that just part of part of the game? Well, I think probably in, even in the healthiest of families, there's some of that that we pick up. I think it's part of the human condition, like, you know. And there's always going to be, there's going to be moments when the parents mess up or they're not as available. That's inevitable. But I think there are ways that parents can mitigate the level of shame that a child internalizes. And I think one of those things is to just let your kids have their feelings. Let them have a tantrum. Let them, and it's harder. It's super hard to do. You know, this is not easy, but letting their kids have their feelings. Because I think as kids, what many of us felt is my feelings break the connection with my caregivers. If I feel my full anger, if I feel my full sadness, I'm going to lose the connection. And so I have to suppress in order to keep the connection. That's like, sorry is like a quick way to say, there's no problem. We're connected. (laughs) You know, it's like, it's a quick way to just smooth over any perceived, you know, transgression. So letting kids have their feelings, like anger is like... Is a, is a really healthy emotion a kid needs to explore and learn how to feel, even anger at the parent. But for many parents who didn't have support themselves or who, you know, they, they might react back at the kid, smack the kid or shame the child for, for being mad. But I think what a common thing that parenting has done in the past is it, it almost expects children to be like adults and punishes them for their lack of regulation. But children's brains can't 
they, they literally don't know, they can't yet, their brains can't process things the way that adults can. But I think as, you know, there's no parenting, people just have kids and they don't realize this, you know? I think now it's very hopeful. There's a lot of work about conscious parenting and mindful parenting with uh, being trauma-informed so that parents can really see, oh, my kid can't be different. They're not being an asshole to me because, you know, <laughs> for the fun of it, they, their brains are just overloaded. And so they're having a tantrum. And, but that requires that parents be regulated. You know, the parent is really the one responsible for the quality of the relationship with their child. And so it kind of comes back to the way that we break the cycle is we take care of the child inside of us. The best thing you can do for your child is heal your mother wound. So what is that little girl inside of you need? I've had clients who have done the healing the mother wound work and automatically their parenting shifts. And that's because when we become available emotionally to that little girl, she feels like there is an adult who's there for her. Then you automatically show up more emotionally available for your own child. Otherwise, the inner child of the mother and the actual child are in competition with scarce resources. I just said a lot there, if that makes sense. No, I, I, I love this last part that you said in the competition for scarce resources. I mean, I loved everything that you said. And I just find it so interesting that, you know, I've, I've acknowledged this in my own life. Like I now have a cat, which is not a kid, but I noticed <laughs> that as I've been mothering myself, it's unlocking all these tools and oh. understandings of compassion and of love and of, you know, of, of caretaking. And so it's obviously different than a child, but it is similar in some ways in the fact no, that No, it's I'm very similar, seeing, yeah. Yeah, I'm just I'm able to see like how the way that I treat myself is also how I treat my cat. And you know the the patience or the lack of patience or mm. you know it's not okay if you keep doing the same thing wrong like how I can be hard on myself in that way too. Mm. You know this kind of yeah and and so I'm seeing like in what you're saying how real that is that's like when you have an, a child, you're competing with scarce resources with your inner child because if you're not giving yourself that love, that attention, your soul is screaming. Like there's part of you that's deeply unhappy because you're not getting what you need and you're having to give. And I talk about this right. a lot with global sisterhood. It's like because so many of us are giving from not a full cup, we're giving from like drops. And so then we mm. have resentment you know, the child's not receiving or the person or whoever is on the other end is not receiving that nectar you know, they're receiving, I call it trash, but it's just not from that full place or it's not from a place of center. Um, it can also yeah. come from, like I noticed in my life, like I wasn't, I do a lot of service work. Most of my life is service work, but I'm not, I wasn't doing it from a place of like pure service. I was doing it from this like underlying deep, deep, deep thing of I'm bad. So therefore I must do service work and Aww. therefore that will make me good. And, mm -hmm. you know, even though it wasn't all that, it wasn't part that. And so I've been like reevaluating, like, no, actually, like, I'm not bad. I'm good. And, you know, that part of me is healing. And, and how can oh, I give from that place? Right. Because I want to give from that place. I don't want to give from the other place. I didn't even realize I was doing it, you know, but it's so conditioned. Yeah. It's a powerful realization. Mm -hmm. Good for you for, for owning that, for seeing that and, and speaking that because I think many people can relate to that. Mm -hmm. You know, this, or this giving to get, like, I'm going to give, I'm going to give so that something will come back to me because it's too scary to ask directly for what right. I want. You know, right. there's another angle to it, but it really comes back to like, I talk about this in a boundaries workshop I do that being honest about what we want and need is a form of love. 
Mm-hmm. You know, honesty is love. And this is a new concept because a lot of us came from families where it was like honesty was bad. You know, you hide your true feelings from people. You don't burden them with it or you don't, it's too mean or like selfish or something to like say what you need. So it's, it's, a, it's a value shift. It's an identity shift. But I think at this point in history, we're starting to see that when we neglect ourselves, we actually, there is a cycle where we actually withhold from others. If we were holding from ourselves down the line somewhere, that's a check that is going to have to get cashed by someone. So why not just be upfront about what you need? And, and some people can't hang with that, but that's okay. You, you know, we find people who can eventually, but that's, that's like real love. It's like taking ownership of what I need, not putting it on you to read my mind and, you know, to subtle clues. Like I think women for many generations have been taught to be subtle about our needs, maybe even manipulate and dilute our truth. And it's revolutionary to just be really in touch with ourselves, really in touch with what we need, and to really own it and speak it and with integrity, of course, with integrity and respect. And, you know, be able to handle what comes back, knowing that we have ourselves. When other people might let, you know, of course, people are going to fail us and let us down. That's part of human, you know, nature. But we can show up for ourselves in that gap where other people have failed us, where other people can't, for whatever reason, be there for us. So that's that inner safety piece again of like, how can I show up for myself so consistently that it's okay when, you know, it's not a huge thing when people can't show up or they let me down or, you know, like I am the safest person for myself. And it's not like we're isolating, but it's just saying, you know, I'm taking utmost responsibility for myself and the child inside of me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I find that to be so powerful too, right? Because it's like, okay, you can work with your mother, but then what about your friends? And what about all these people perhaps that you haven't set clear boundaries with? And it ends up just being a very powerful way of owning your needs. Yeah. I find that women who do the work with their mothers, it's much easier with your friends afterwards. (laughs) So when you've Mm -hmm. done it with the core person, it's like icing on the cake when you do it with your other people. It becomes much, Mm -hmm. much easier. Mm Mm-hmm. So I'm curious about forgiveness in your work, if that plays a role. And if so, like where that comes in. Yeah, absolutely. I don't really emphasize forgiveness because I believe that forgiveness, if and when it happens, is a is like an organic natural process. It's like an apple falling off a tree or a dead leaf falling off a tree. It just happens when the time is right, when we've done enough work on it. I think unfortunately in our culture, the word forgiveness has been it's it's really defined in a way, misdefined as like, it's something you can do, <laughs> you know, you can choose to do. But if you say, I forgive, when you haven't done the inner work around it, it it's not really forgiveness because the, there's nothing that internal change has happened. So we have to, we have to grapple with the transgression. We have to grapple with the harm that was done. We have to feel the weight of that, digest that, feel the emotions around it. And, you know, choose yes or not, you know, to, to connect with that person around it, to voice it. And for, I think it's different for everybody. That's why I don't really emphasize it. For me, it's more about acceptance. We accept what happened. We accept we can't change it. And we accept ourselves. We accept what we went through. And we accept that the other person couldn't do any different. And so I guess that might be another way of saying forgiveness. But to me, I like the word acceptance better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I do, I do believe that when when I come into forgiveness, it's kind of like a puzzle being finally uh, decoded or something. It's like all of a sudden I'm just like, oh, I actually like 
forgive because now I understand, you know, I can, I can extract what I learned. Exactly. Uh, it's like forgiveness is just like this natural thing that happens when you're like, oh yeah, it couldn't have been different and I'm okay. And they didn't mean it. And, you know, we're all just human. It's like when you can have that, you know, high altitude perspective, it just becomes so easy to like send love to the whole situation. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Because if we're all here to learn, not necessarily learning comes easy. Sometimes we pay a price and sometimes it's through these deep traumatic things that happen. I've learned in my own life that like they've been the most helpful because it sent me on a healer's journey. I had to do all this work. And then all of a sudden here I am and I – I feel so much more capable of helping other people because I've been there. I totally. So it's not fun. It's so beautiful. But I'm like, it's not fun. Yeah. No, it's not fun. <laughs> it can be fun. I have a I have a friend where we do like healing work together and every time she's like, wasn't that so fun? And I'm like, uh, no. <laughs> but now I'm learning when I'm in these deep experiences, I have her voice with me and there'll be something so painful, like I'm feeling in my heart or something and I just – I hear her like, isn't this so fun? And in a way it is, you know, because it's a, it's, there's something to be grateful for in that moment because I'm getting to feel, I'm getting to experience, I'm healing something. You know how you said trauma is a center point mantle in your life. So it's like, Mm. yeah, this is fun. This is what I'm living for. This is what I'm doing. You know, like I'm living for, for this feeling of, of, of pain so that I can transmute. You know? Yes, yes. I like to, in my book, I talk about a metaphor of surfing is like, instead of being like pummeled by the waves, and it's like, oh, why do these waves keep coming? You just like hop on your board and you're just like, yes, I'm riding the wave. And it becomes an adventure. Like, what am Mm -hmm. I going to discover about myself now? And what's going to be possible in my life after going through all this healing work? And I'm so excited to see what's going to, what the universe is going to bring me next. You know? It is so fun. I love that your friend has that mantra. That's awesome. I love it. And no matter how hard it is, she's like, wasn't that so fun? That was fun. That was fun. I don't know. But I'm learning more and more that like if you pull back a little and you just see yourself like in that moment, it's like good work, you know, like you're doing a good job. (laughs) And this is fun. Yeah. I know. I like to say that it's really a privilege to be conscious enough to do this kind of work because in a way it's fun compared to being super stuck and not knowing why and not having tools and just blaming yourself or feeling victimized by life, like that's rough. I'd much Mm -hmm. rather be proactive about my lessons and learn and welcome them and, and get the right support so that I can just move through it. And I think we get to a place where back to the spiritual thing, it's like, we can really feel connected with our humanity. And like so many humans have gone through so much, you know, just being a human is not easy. And just to get to that place of compassion, like, wow, being a human is a brave thing, like to be conscious, to want to grow. It's such a beautiful, sacred thing. And we get to do it. You know, it's hard as hell, but we get, we got enough of whatever we need to, to keep going on that path. And we can trust that people of the future will benefit from the seeds that we're planting, you know, in our garden of human consciousness. <laughs> so you shared about support and I'm curious about women that are embarking on this journey, like it feels like they needed like an ally or at least someone to talk to. You had your therapist and, you know, you have all these programs and books and resources for women. So I'm curious about what you recommend as, because it's scary and it's like isolating too, especially if your family is not happy that you're doing this work. So what kind of support do you think women need to embark Yeah. Yeah. It can be different for everybody based on what you're drawn to or where you're at in your journey. But I always recommend to get more support than you think you need because we tend to be stingy with ourselves. You know, it's like, 
So I'd say get passionate about it and like seek out resources. So things like, I'm a person who believes in therapy. I know there's a lot of crappy therapists out there, but there are some good ones. So I do recommend if you can be patient through the process of finding the right therapist because they can make all the difference. And then women's groups. I think women's groups can be really powerful where women come together for the purpose of healing. It could be online. It could be in person. But some sense of communities that you can dip in and out of and get that kind of wider commitment. Because especially if we came from families that were dysfunctional, we feel like the outsider. We need a new context where the new paradigm we're stepping into is the norm. So a women's group is great. So one-on-one support, a women's group. And then I would invite you to just bring as much good energy into your life. Listen to podcasts, make your environment really beautiful, just help uplift your energy so that you can feel good most of the time. I, I know that seems kind of like a tall order, but it could be really simple things too that make you feel like you're setting a new energetic tone in your life. And you want to look around and feel that mirrored back to you, that good energy that you're cultivating inside of you. So your spare time, do it in ways that feel nurturing. Meditate, listen to music, dancing. What makes you feel good? Like ask yourself that question, like what what turns me on? What helps me feel uplifted and connected and just inspired and like make a long list. This is what I ask women to do in the first module of my course. What makes you feel mothered and safe and cherished and loved and just yummy? Make a list and then just build more and more things like that into your daily life as much as possible. And that is kind of like eases the road. It makes like a nice paved road where you can have lots of support support and resources when things get tough that you know how to, you kind of become an expert in mothering yourself and taking care of yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I found for me that like making my driving, because I don't love driving, making it kind of a sacred space where I sing songs Mm. and I listen to music I really love or I listen to a podcast that really like has my heart. Then that's like, that's a place for me to get to have kind of what you were sharing about, you know, this, this beauty, this thing. And it was originally a place that I didn't like so much. And so now I'm like learning that, oh, I actually really enjoy and it helps me process and all this kind of stuff. So just throwing that out there for whoever finds this helpful. So Bethany, for our our final question, if you were to share a message from the Divine Mother herself, the cosmic consciousness, this infinite womb Mm. of existence that births us all, what would she have you say? Mm, I love that question. I think I would say, or that she would say something like, you are what you want. You are that 100% lovable, sacred, worthy, precious being. You are that. You've always been that. You will always be that. And you're here to just uncover some of the residues that you picked up along the way that obscured that or distorted your your perception of that. So you're getting back to your beauty, your core, that which can never be taken away from you, which is love. And you are love and you are lovable and you are so good. And anything that happens, the ups and downs of life, they happen, they're part of the human experience, but they can't ultimately hurt you. You are ultimately safe because you're part of the universe. And the universe is made of love, the very fabric of everything that we see. Love is behind it all. It's kind of a game of hide and seek. So as you heal these residues, you're finding yourself and you're finding other loves to love you and that want to love you and that you will love. So have fun. Have fun with this game of life. I'm with you and you'll never be alone. 
I think that's what she would say. <laughs> mm, so it is. Mm, thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for being here. It was an honor and a privilege to get to to feel into my own mother wound while you've been here and to to really connect the dots too. Yeah, thanks for being so present and so like open and willing to go there with me. That was really powerful what you modeled there. I really admire that. So thank you. Thank you. Can you share with our audience about where they can find you, how they can gather support through your communities, your book, all the fun things? Yeah, absolutely. You can find all things about me at my website. It's bethanywebster.com. If you're feeling interested in what I've shared today, I have a book that is really an introduction to my work. It's part memoir and part kind of the breakdown of what the mother wound is, how it shows up in our lives and how to heal it. And it's called Discovering the Inner Mother, a guide to healing the mother wound and claiming your personal power. Um, you can find that anywhere books are sold. And if you want to go deeper, if you already like, I need this, I want more of this, I recommend my online course. Um, it's called Healing the Mother Wound. And it was really designed to take you from A you know, to Z with this whole process where I walk you through the process. And you get kind of lifetime access to me when you join. I teach uh, these group coaching calls twice a month and you get unlimited ones into the future. So it's designed to be a long-term kind of a nest where you get to come as you heal through many, many layers and you get to have support over the long term. So I highly recommend that. And if you're kind of super new, there's lots of free blog articles. I've written dozens of articles on all these different aspects of the mother wound. Um, so there's a blog there where you can just search, you know, you can even punch in some search terms or you can just go through them all. Um, but there's hours of interesting reading there. I also have a list of resources like recommended books that I highly recommend that are there too. So lots to play with at bethanywebster.com. Mm. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for doing this work and for committing so much of your time and energy into helping others kind of move through this this journey to find their authentic selves. It's it's wow, it's amazing work. Mm, thank you so much for all that you do as well and the podcast and what you're putting out there and I just appreciate what you are doing. So thank you so much. It's great for me to be part of it. I appreciate it and I look forward to staying in touch. Me too. This is fun, right? <laughs> so fun. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you all so much for listening to the Time of the Feminine podcast. It's such an honor to be with you all and to be a part of this community. I love hearing all the shares when you email us or write reviews of our podcast. It's really beautiful to get to know you better and to have you as a part of this community. So thank you so much for listening and tune in next time. Until then, goodbye. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Time of the Feminine podcast. It is such an honor every time to be able to host these conversations and to share the stories of the beautiful people we get the opportunity to interview. And so if you enjoyed this podcast, please go ahead and leave us a review. You can do so on Apple Podcasts and write a nice note or you can do so on Spotify by leaving stars. We so appreciate every single one of you that's taken the effort to go out and to share with others and with our community about how this podcast has touched you. It really means so much to us. And for us, this is a labor of love. And so thank you for giving back in that way.